Thank you very much, Karen. While we're journeying here, be faithful. If you're faithful today and faithful tomorrow, you build a pattern of faithfulness and end up finishing well. A number of years ago, in our area, there was a family feud. The family to this day is still somewhat divided. There's been some reconciliation, but still somewhat divided. It influenced many, many other families, influenced many unbelievers, influenced many churches in the area, and unbelievers basically to this day still occasionally will just laugh at what happened with that family. And it's deeply influencing our area even today. There was a family situation. And as we are studying and considering Obadiah, we find that this is dealing with a family situation also. We have Abraham, who had a son Isaac. Isaac had two children, Jacob and Esau. From Esau came the nation of Edom. From Jacob came the nation of Israel, and then we know that Israel was divided into the two southern tribes, Judah, and the ten northern tribes, and many times that was called Israel. And Edom deals, or I'm sorry, Obadiah deals with how Edom is treating the two southern tribes, or how they treated them at several points in time. Let's take our Bibles and go to Obadiah, reading part of the book, and then we'll look at some background in relation to Obadiah as we seek to understand it. Obadiah, beginning with verse 1. Everyone find Obadiah. It's probably one of those books we don't look at very often. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Amos, you know, comes before Obadiah. It's only 20 verses. But Obadiah, 21 verses, I'm sorry. Obadiah, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We've heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly destroyed. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourselves, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If these came to you, if robbers in the night, but what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If great pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged, as your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, why not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau? 
your warriors, O Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of your violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloft, while strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. And we'll stop there for tonight. But we find that God, the Lord, is speaking against Edom. And the reason is pride, and we'll consider their pride next week. But we know that God is telling them that there's going to be a complete destruction. And it goes back to the way they treated their brother. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 25 and get a little historical setting for what happens in Obadiah. And I want you to keep in mind that the time span between Genesis 25 and Obadiah is about 1,600 years. And that is very significant. In chapter 25, we find that Abraham has died. Then we find that Isaac is 40 years old. He marries Rebekah. And we'll pick up with verse 21. Genesis 25 and verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. By the way, keep in mind that the same was true of Sarah, Abraham's wife. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, <clears throat> Two nations are in your womb, and two people, or two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now this is happening, this is being told to her before they're even born. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. We won't discuss kind of the play and words and so on, but it's important to notice that Esau was hairy like a garment. Jacob was grasping his brother's heel. And the idea of Jacob is one who is a deceiver. And that comes through in his life. Verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of 
the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for the wild, Isaac, who had a taste for the wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now catch that. Isaac loved Esau, Rebekah loved Jacob. You almost have a divided home that comes to play later on. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of the red stew. I'm famished. That is why he also is called Edom. Jacob replied, for some of your birthright. You see the conniving that's going on already? For some of your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now there's kind of just some things going on already between Jacob and Esau. But also between mom and dad, you know, mom had a favorite son, dad had a favorite son. Now let's go over to Genesis 27 and 28. Some time has passed. And in chapter 27 and verse 1, we find that Jacob is going to steal the blessing and flee. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, here am I, he answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and don't know the time of, or the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prefer, prepare for me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Esau was to have the blessing. He was the oldest. And Jacob is planning to do that. Verse 5, Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice goats so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them from me. Again, you see the dynamic. Here we have mother against dad. And Jacob is kind of playing into it. 
And we can read on. We won't read the entire passage. But we find that Jacob goes to get the blessing. And, you know, his mother had put some things on his arm so that he would appear hairy. You know, he would smell like the open field. And I want you to notice in verse 27. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and the earth's richness, richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Jacob has got the blessing. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give, your, give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked, Who are you? I'm your son, he answered. Your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. It almost seems like Isaac knew what Jacob was like. He came deceitfully. And I don't think you could live in that family without knowing that there was a tension between mom and dad. As far as, you know, one liking Jacob, the other liking Esau. Esau responds in verse 36. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He's deceived me two times. He took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I made him Lord over you. And I made all his relatives his servants. And I've sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from earth's riches, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his, throw his yoke from off your neck. Early on in this relationship, there's tension. We know that Jacob flees to his father-in-law in the balance of chapter 27 and into 28. You know, Jacob is sent off. Jacob has a dream. And ends up going to his father-in-law and he works seven years for Rachel but gets Leah. 
and he works another seven years for Leah. I'm sorry, for Rachel. And we know that Jacob became quite wealthy. And then there were some problems with Jacob and his father-in-law. And Jacob kind of met his match in his father-in-law. You know, his father-in-law gave him a hard time, but Jacob gave Esau a hard time and, you know, kind of coming home to roost in some ways. So when we get over to chapter 32 and 33, we find that Jacob and Esau meet. Jacob returns, and he makes great preparations for meeting his brother. So in Genesis 32, in verse 3, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my master. That is my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and I've remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, (coughs) men servants and maidservants. Now I'm sending this message to you, my Lord that I might find, may find favor in your eyes. Now remember, Jacob fled because Esau wanted to kill him. There's been no contact. Now he's returning and Jacob is laying the groundwork you know, for appeasing. Verse 6, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau... Now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. What's Jacob thinking? No, he's going to get me. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. And the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. And then we find that Jacob prays. And by the way, does anyone recall, since we're not going to read the entire passage, who was the last group to meet Esau? Rachel. Why was Rachel the last group? Pardon? Loved her more. Do you see the same thing happening in Jacob's family as happened with his parents? There was favorites. Jacob had a favorite wife. And that comes through. He had a favorite son then too, you know, because that comes through in his son, Joseph. In Genesis thirty-five twenty-nine, we find that Esau and Jacob bury their father. Then he breathed his last, referring to Jacob, and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So apparently, you know, things are somewhat normal. So the events that we discussed in Genesis are probably taking place somewhere around 2000 B.C., So let's get down the years of time a little and go to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. (coughs) 
Numbers chapter 20. When we get to Numbers 20, this is about 600 years after what we read in Genesis. The children of Israel ended up in Egypt via Joseph. They spent some 400 years in slavery. They're coming out of Egypt. Moses is leading them. And they're supposed to be going to the promised land. Let's pick up with Numbers 20 and verse 14. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom saying, This is what your brother Israel says. You know about all the hardships that have come upon us. Our forefathers went down into Egypt and we lived there many years. The Egyptians mistreated us and our fathers. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now, we are here at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your country. We will not go through any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway and will not turn to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom answered, You may not pass through here. If you try, we will march out and attack you with a sword. The Israelites replied, We will go along the main road, and if we or our livestock drink any of your water, we will pay for it. We only want to pass through on foot, nothing else. Again they answered, You may not pass through. Then Edom came out against them with a large sword, or with a large and powerful army, since Edom refused to let them go through their territory. Israel turned away from them. 600 years later, here's Edom resisting Israel. Keep that in mind. Now let's go over to, or back to Obadiah. Go back to Obadiah now. Now when we get to Obadiah, this would be about 800 years after what happened when Israel came out of Egypt. So we're dealing with a time frame of almost 1,400 years from Jacob and Esau till we get to Obadiah. Now notice what is mentioned in Obadiah in verse 10. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame you will be destroyed forever. Edom, Esau. Verse 9 talks about Esau's mountain, and then because of your violence against your brother Jacob. Referring back to relationship, family relationship, 1,400 years earlier. Well, it kind of makes you stop and think. Verse 11, on the day you stood aloft while strangers carried off his wealth. And I'll explain this more in weeks to come. But probably is what is happening in 586 when Babylon came and destroyed the walls of Jerusalem. The third time Babylon came against Jerusalem. Destroyed the walls of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. That's probably what it's referring here. The last time Babylon came against Jerusalem. No, Judah. And what did Edom do? 
They just kind of stood back. They did not help their brother. They looked down on their brother, according to verse 12, apparently rejoiced over their destruction and even cut down some of the fugitives that were leaving. And we'll look at it, uh, Edom's pride and so on next week. But I want you to notice, in light of Obadiah, that Obadiah's prophecy makes it very clear that the Lord holds family relationships in high regard. Fourteen hundred years. And he's saying, Edom, you didn't care for your brother Jacob. That's quite a time span. Apparently, and we'll tie this more as we get through Obadiah, every effort should be made or taken to have peace or harmony in a family, an extended family. Now, Jacob was not the most saintly guy all the time. No, he's, he was a deceiver. And uh, some things happened with his, with his own family. Nor was Esau a saintly guy. But yet God says, Edom, Esau, you didn't care for your brother. And in your pride, you will be cut down. And another thing, and this isn't worded well, I understand that. In any manner, to hurt your family by being glad in their struggle or failing to help in their struggle seems to be very serious. Again, don't worry about the wording. In any manner, to hurt your family. You know, I, I didn't tell Jer to change that. Uh, that's what Edom is doing. They're not helping their brother. And I, I'm not drawing any dogmatic conclusions, but ponder that. 1,400 years have lapsed. Just kind of makes me say, Lord, I don't quite relate to that. A little theology as we wrap it up. The Lord moves, controls human history on two levels. The Lord's the ultimate mover, as we mentioned last week, and the Lord works through international (coughs) political alliances and so on. Well, that'll come up again. But an envoy is speaking against Edom. And again, it's because of the ultimate mover God working This is just a challenging a question. I'm not looking for a response. Do you ever think about nations of the world as you look at history and see how nations are related and how they treated each other and what happened to those nations? Think about America. How was America founded? Who did we fight? 
Think about Germany and some things that happened. And you can go back through history. Just a lot of interesting dynamics. And I'm not drawing any dogmatic conclusions, but it just makes you stop and think. Another aspect of theology, and this will come out next week as we address Edom's pride. Edom was very proud. The Lord abhors pride. Look at some parallel passages on that. The Lord holds family relationships in high regard, even if we are hundreds of years down the road. We seem to be our brother's keeper. You know, some 1,400 years ex- separated events. And Edom seems to be more responsible than Jacob. Edom's the one that's getting judged because of the way they treated their brother. Israel, or Judah rather, is not the one getting judged. It's Edom, you know, because of the treatment. The Lord's timetable is much different than our timetable. So Travis and Laura are going to discipline one of their daughters, and Travis says, Tenley, you're going to be disciplined. And she says, when? When you're 50? (laughs) Tenley would say, phew, I get off that one. Think about the Lord's timetable. You see it over and over again. Here's a timetable. Jacob and Esau. And 1,400 years later, there's something happening. No, it's just hard for us sometimes to understand God. I don't know if you ever have trouble with God and understanding him and his timetable. And God, this just doesn't make sense. We think a year is bad. (laughs) But this is years. So we can't always explain God and understand him. The Lord's t- honors sowing and reaping by nations. A nation seems to reap what they sow. Go back in history and look at nations of the world and what they sowed and then what they reaped. And it wasn't always immediate. It may be many years later. Judah did not sow well. They went into Babylonian captivity. Israel, the ten northern tribes, didn't sow well. They went into captivity before Judah did. Look at more modern history at some of the nations of the world and what has happened or will yet happen in the future. Take China. what they have sown. They're starting to reap some now. And that is because of their one-child policy. They're starting to reap that. The U.S., and this is reaping much quicker. Abortion has been in the U.S. for many, many years, but it became acceptable and 1973, when I say acceptable, you know, Supreme Court said it's okay. One of the problems we're suffering now as a nation is the whole issue of Social Security because some 50 million 
people are not alive. You know, there is a sowing and a reaping, and that seems to happen with nations. But again, we many times just struggle because we think of discipline as being when? Now. It happened? Now. The Lord says it happened. I will get to it. And we, again, struggle with that. And the Lord, in this context of Obadiah, initiates the judgment. There's something that we should seek to let permeate our thinking, and that is God. What's he like? What's he like? And we covered some items. Because theology and how we think about God basically determines how we live. So think well. Think correctly about God. And Obadiah, I think, introduces you know, a lot about God. And Lord willing, next week we'll pick up on Edom's pride and see what the Lord says. Any questions or comments before we close in prayer?